Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. glad to be here, aren't we, Stacey? Aren't we, Stacey? Now, we've been having a good, good, hard uh, conversation and deep in the, uh, into deep biblical and theological matters, and it's always so, so great. Uh, boy, you should have been in the car with us the other night when we were returning from Thanksgiving, right? Yes. That was a great conversation. Uh, our kids have grown up with that. We've, since they were even, Children, yeah, we've, we've always had a lot of really <laughs> that Thanksgiving drive back from Lexington is yeah, always Lexington, something. Texas, by the way, not Lexington, exactly. whatever. Um, where, where is Lexington? I have heard there is a Lexington in every state. Really? Yes. And uh, so the most famous, though, of course, Lexington and Concord, so Lexington, Kentucky. Kentucky, that's it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's the big one. All right. Yeah, we went, we've got Texas has got our little town of Lexington as well. That's where we went for Thanksgiving. And we have these uh, marathon theological conversations <laughs> in our family with the kids and all. It, it's, Blame Scott. I've always enjoyed it. <laughs> I've always enjoyed it a lot. Uh, think deeply, try to think correctly, rightly. How to learn to think rightly about God and about our existence uh, uh, in a biblical perspective. I've wrestled with that. I, I don't, for some reason, my whole life, I've really wanted to make sense of things and how, how, how everything is coming and how the things that we say can make sense and, and the way we think can make sense as we learn to think biblically. Well, that's what we're trying to do here on the Bible Live. We read through the Bible every year. We give you a chance to hear every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible. If you go to thebiblelive.com and you can find there our podcast and go down and, and uh, find the readings. This past week, we read, let me see, what were our passages? We read from... Uh, from the Psalms and the Proverbs, we read Psalms 16 through 18. And then, <coughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry. Then we read in, in the book of Exodus, chapters 6 through 25. So we, at this time of the year, the first part of November is when we begin reading uh, from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, we start our way through the Bible. This will be our 20th year, I guess it is now, going through the Bible. And uh, we read the book of Genesis already. We finished. And now this past week, we read chapter 6 of Exodus through chapter 25. So that's what we'll be discussing this evening with you. Hopefully, if you'd like to join us, we welcome you to call in and be a part of our conversation about 
these chapters that we have read this past week. Now, if you ever want to join us in that journey through the Bible, all you got to do is go to thebiblelive.com on your smartphone or your computer and click on uh, each week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I mean, Friday, five days. Uh, we have uh, a reading, a 15 to 20 minute reading each weekday. And you can just go through the Bible with us every year. And we read through the entire Bible. You can hear the Bible itself. Uh, that's what the podcast is. It's just the reading of the Bible. There's some introductory remarks, remarks and introduction to the program and, and, and some comments that help you introduce you to the passage. We're going to read that night, that day. And then we, you hear the Bible, the actual Bible, every verse, like I said, every chapter, every book of the Bible. And then uh, there, the only conversation is and the only commentary around that is simply for those who are joining us for the first time to give you an understanding of where we are in the Bible, uh, what you know, what we read the past week, what we're reading now, and introduce you to the topic of that evening's reading. Generally, this is what it's about. And then you, we start the reading uh, through the Psalms and the Proverbs. It's called our Wisdom and Worship segment. And then we start the reading, our narrative reading through the lar- larger, longer books of the Bible. And so, like I said, this past week we read Psalms uh, 16 through 18, and then we read Exodus chapter 6 through chapter 25. And you can go there, and, and they're still there. You can look them up by their date that we read those programs. You can listen to those readings from the Bible. Now, this coming week we'll finish up uh, the book of Exodus, starting at chapter 26, and this coming week, starting tomorrow night, Monday, uh, you can go there anytime during the day or anytime during the evening. You can go to Monday's program uh, starting at 3 o'clock in the morning. If you're up early and you want to read, hear the Bible reading that early or at 6 in the morning or 8 in the morning or in the evening, whenever you'd like to listen or in the car or during your commute to work and back, you can hear uh, those Bible readings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll read... Uh, Exodus chapter 26 and on into the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And then at that point, after the book of Leviticus, we'll uh, take a break from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and we'll jump over into the New Testament and pick up with the gospel, the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, where we will begin reading uh, about the Christmas story, in effect, in, in fact, uh, with the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the Messiah uh, himself who comes finally, uh, you know, we'll jump ahead about, what, 1,500 years, uh, and then we pick up right there with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And when we finish the book of Matthew, we'll go back and pick up Numbers and Deuteronomy. So we just kind of move, alternating back and forth between the Old and New Testaments, we move straight through the entire Bible that way. So I uh, hope you'll join us. Be a part of the Bible Live family as and make our way through the Bible. You can form your own group, maybe your family, each and every everybody listening each day. You can listen together or listen separately and then maybe have a conversation over at dinner time or a conversation at some time during the day. Uh, you can have a people at, a group at work if you want to all read through the Bible and listen through the Bible together and then have a Bible study about uh, what you heard in, in the discussion of it. That's another way. Uh, you can form your own group or join a group 
uh, together and, and just use the readings as your way of making through the Bible together. Now, at the same time, you'll find at thebiblelive.com not only the readings themselves that you can listen to uh, on your smartphone or your computer or whenever you'd like at your convenience. There are also the questions. There are a group of 30 to 40 questions uh, on that come out of our readings each and every week. So every week there's a list of questions that are kind of uh, thought-provoking, some of them. Some of them are just factual questions. Who is this? Who did that? Who said this? When did this happen? What? Uh, where, we, where was this when it happened and so on? So there's some great questions and answers as well that you could use as a basis for your own personal growth or for discussion as group. There are questions there, and the answers are given with the verse of scripture that the answer where the answer is found. So there it is. The Bible Live is just designed for you to make your way through the entire Bible every year and and grow in your understanding of the word, what the Bible says, the biblical worldview, and grow in your understanding of God himself. And this is a rich rich time of the year right now. This is what Stacy and I were discussing when we came in is the fact that uh at this First time of the year, Genesis and Exodus, first couple of books of the Bible, uh, in particular the book of Genesis, that's where what that's where the plan of God, the plan the creator, the plan that he instigates for human life and human existence on planet Earth, it all gets put together. It gets its beginning, that's the meaning of the word Genesis, in the books of Genesis and, and Exodus, that in the beginning of the Bible here, so many of these basic fundamental truths and um, these fundamental basic facts and, uh, of our human existence are put into play, are established in these early books. And it's important that you get these. Uh, it's important that you understand the, these fundamental Laws, these fundamental principles that are in place that determine our human existence, the way we live. Uh, and I'm not down to every little detail. If I, you know, do I clip my fingernails to here? Do I take a bath on Saturday or do I take it on Friday? And that, uh, all of those are part of what was established, but we have a lot of liberty. We, we, exercise a great deal of free will within the context of what God has put together sovereignly uh, for human existence. Now, we can't jump off of a 50-story building and fly to the sidewalk below us uh, on our own uh, power. You know, that won't happen because that's not the way, unless you have, let's say, what would they have to have to fly down? One of those Iron little, man suit. <laughs> one of those little private, yeah, <laughs> single planes that you go down, or or parachute down, Unless or something. you're working with the laws. Yeah, you're working with the laws that God has put in place. But in other words, there are limits to our free will. There are certain things we can't do. Uh, but all of the, the laws, and the better we understand the laws, the better then we can learn to use them and take advantage of them and and and, and use them for good. Uh, for example, you take the laws of uh, of of that govern the idea of uh, fire. You know when things reach a are combustible, when they reach the, a temperature where they will burst into flames. Uh, so we have the whole idea of fire. 
Uh, well, the fire can be used to warm our homes and cook our food and do uh, empower some certain kinds of engines and so on. Or fire can be used uh, to burn down people's houses. It can be burned. It can be used very tragically and harmfully and destructively. Uh, but the better we understand the principles, the more we can make good, right choices and do good things with those. And so that's the context that we're in right now. We've been to, we've been kind of highlighting that every week for the last three weeks, trying to put into place the principles, the the rules, the spiritual laws that govern our spiritual world, just as we know about the physical laws that govern the world around us each and every day. So we're going to keep on with that that kind of uh, emphasis tonight as we discuss the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. I, I wanted to open up tonight, particularly there's one thing that we haven't uh, mentioned uh, how would we introduce this, Stacy? For one, I wanted to um, mention the fact that as we read through the, the the Hebrew scriptures, as we read through particularly the Hebrew scriptures, a lot of these things become a lot clearer in the New Testament because uh, <coughs> you know the Messiah has come, the Redeemer has come. He's carried out His work. He has lived His perfect life. Of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, and He has uh, given His life as a sacrifice and atoning His atoning work on the cross of Calvary, and He has purchased our redemption by His death on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth has so that God's redemptive plan has now been fulfilled in time and space in history, mm-hmm. whereas in the Old Testament. It's looked forward to. It's predicted. It's described in the future sense who he is, what he would be like, and what, when and where he would come, where he would be born, and so on. Uh, we have all of that in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, it prefigures the redemptive plan of God. Now, God had a redemptive plan, as we've spoken many times in the book of Genesis. The whole point of human existence is that God is calling out of the human race, every man, woman, or child that's ever been born, that's ever lived on this planet Earth. Uh, God has created the opportunity for every human being to know him, to be at peace with him, to be made right with God, and to be, uh, by God's redemptive plan, to be made right with God and to live with God forever. After life on planet Earth, we can enjoy his presence and his blessing and his guidance while we live here on planet Earth. And then whether we die at age 5 or 10 or 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 100, uh, if we are right with God and we know him, then we know then that we go on from this life on planet earth. We go on to us to live forever uh, in a different mode, in a spiritual realm, a spiritual dimension, uh, no longer limited to to these physical bodies and this physical earth that we live on now, but we go into the spiritual dimension and there we will still continue to exist as the, the men, the women, the people that we are, and that we will will live in eternal relationship and harmonious relationship with our God. Or 
we will not live in that relationship. We will only experience uh, uh, a separation from God that we have chosen down here. The, as I said, the purpose of God is to create the human race so that every human being makes his choice as to whether he wants to know God, to love God, to obey God, to revere God, to respect God, uh, and desires God in goodness, um, or we do not. What was it C.S. Lewis says that uh, all get what they want? No, we no. will all eventually get what we want. Yeah, that, that's the idea. God has given like you it. that choice yeah. to choose him or not to choose him, knowing God or no peace. What does it say? No God or no peace or something. There's some saying mm-hmm. like that. But then the point is, is that there is God created the two options, heaven and hell. And they are his options. They are, they are not a third option. You can't thumb your nose at God and, and, and reject God and go on to eternal bliss. That's not an option. Uh, we, we know God and we know his peace and his love and his mercy and his grace forever, or we reject God and we get what we want. We are separated from God, from all expression of God and his goodness and his grace, uh, and we go for an eternity separated from God. Those are the two options. Uh, God has ordained them both. They are both honoring to him. Uh, both God will be honored in his judgment of sin and wickedness, just as he is honored in his grace and mercy toward the redeemed. Uh both are his choices, and uh, but we make a choice from within planet Earth before we, while we're living on this Earth, we make a decision here as to whether we want to know God, and we make it from a level playing field. We all live in the same planet Earth. We all have disappointments. We all have pain. We all have problems. We have difficulties. We have diseases. We get sick. We all have the same things happen to us. When you choose God, it doesn't mean that you're never going to get sick and everything's going to go perfectly for you the rest of your life. That's not going to happen. Even his son, who lived the only perfect human life that's ever been lived, perfect without sin, even he was nailed to a cross at age 30. Part of the, as part, the, the linchpin, the most important part of the redemptive plan of God, his substitutionary, substitutionary atonement on our behalf. So in other words, we make that decision here on planet Earth in, in, in the context of a level playing field where good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, but we choose God or choose against God here on the Earth. Uh, and God is the author of both of those choices. Uh, and so we were trying to point, I wanted to point that out because that's one of the principles that's put in place in the book of Genesis. Uh, we notice after, remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and their sons, Cain and Abel, and then Cain kills Abel, his brother, and then God gives him another son named Seth. And, and they begin, you go through chapter five, you, you start with the, the, um, uh, genealogies as the human race expands and grows and, and they go on there. The human race expands. Every human being, the human race divides into those fundamentally into those two camps. Those who are going to love God, desire God, want God, uh, honor God, and they, they desire the relationship with God and those who reject God and the relationship with the creator. And we see that happen in the book of Genesis, that these two great streams of humanity. And um, I, I think we were going to point out tonight, Stacy, that 
in this redemptive, in this valley of decision in which we live, uh, human beings make that choice. Uh, there are pictures all along the way. God is revealing himself to every human being. Every human being has some revelation of, of God and the opportunity to choose God. Uh, now, we who live now in the 21st century, those of us who know the Bible, we know we have this written record of God's re- revelation of himself to humanity through the centuries. We see the Redeemer has come, the Messiah, the Savior, the redemptive plan of God. We have, we have the full-blown gospel message, the good news message of the redemptive plan of God is totally there for us to see and understand, uh, and and uh, we can know that. Other people didn't know exactly what we know. They didn't know nearly as much as we know, but they still knew something of God, uh, the Creator, something of Him, and they still made their choice. Uh, and Anyone who goes to heaven to be with God will ultimately be there because of the finished work, the redemptive work of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. But not everybody knew Jesus by his name. They don't know who he was. I'm, I'm Native American. Let's say tribes that lived here on the American continent three, five hundred years ago, three to five hundred or eight hundred years ago. They didn't know about Jesus and the Bible and the Jewish nation, the people of Israel and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and, and Noah and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They didn't know any of that, but they knew about God, the creator, and they responded at some level. And you can read this in the Bible, not only the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, Psalm 8, Psalm 19. You can read in Romans chapters one and two. Over and over again, we're given that idea that people, uh, all people have received some revelation of the Creator to them, and that each one is responsible for what they, what God has shown them of himself. And of course, I don't know that. I don't know what God has shown you of himself. I don't know what God has shown Stacy, although I've been a part of her lives. We know each other well, but still, uh, we cannot look deep into the heart, into the experience of any other human being and know what God has revealed of himself to that person and how that person has responded. But we can know that God has revealed himself and that the person has heard, undeniably heard the call of God to their life, to calling them to himself. And, and they have responded at some level to that. And if they respond positively, God, they are the blood and, and the sacrifice of Calvary. The redemptive plan of God is applied favorably to their life by their response of faith and, and love and longing toward this, toward God. And so I don't, that's, don't tell me, I don't know how God is so great and wonderful to do it, although I know he is. Uh, I'm, of course, limited intellectually, and I couldn't make that decision or determination about each and every life. But God knows each and every human experience, and uh, it is all a part uh, of his calling. That's that's the world that we live in. And I wanted to mention, Stacy here, I'm going too long on this little part here, but I I do want to bring that out because that is one of the fundamental aspects of the laws of God that determine what's going on on planet Earth. Even today, around planet with 7.2 billion people, that's what's happening. 
God is calling little uh, little children in Israel, little children in Japan and in Russia and Honduras and Latin America and Argentina and Brazil and up in Alaska and all around planet Earth, up and down. God is calling human beings to himself. And we are sharing the message of God's love and goodness and the, uh, the, the gospel message here and all of its glory and beauty is being shared around the world. And men and women are making their choices today uh, about their relationship to God. Uh, and so uh, we know that's going on. And there are, oh, I, I guess what I wanted to mention, I'm trying to get to this. I'm not doing it very well, I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I wanted to talk about the fact that in the book of Genesis and here in Exodus, we talked about uh, the principle uh, animal sacrifice. Remember the idea of, of substitutionary uh, atonement. We saw that when Adam and Eve sinned and God, there was an animal slain, the blood was poured out, They were their sin was covered, and they understood that and passed it on to their children, to, to Cain and Abel, to Seth and others. Uh, then you see through the book of Genesis, we, uh, we see that there are people, all the different events of the Bible and all the different people of the Bible are highlighting that redemptive message that God has given. And so we get caught up sometimes in the stories of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and and, uh, Tower of Babel. And then we get into uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so we get caught up in the story of these people's lives. And that's all right. We're seeing their lives from our perspective as human beings. But remember that they and we, we're all living in the context of that, that, that bigger picture, that bigger uh, uh, event that's going on. God is calling out people for himself. Now, when we come back now, we're going to pick up uh, with the book of Exodus. We followed now. We've talked about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his son Joseph. Last week, we discussed that in depth. Joseph down in Egypt and how the people of Israel uh, get become a slave population, a population of servants and slaves down in Egypt. And now we're going to come to the this person named Moses and we're going to see how God brings that particular people group whom he is using and blessing. He's going to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land that he had promised to their, to their ancestor Abraham. So we'll get into that when we come back on The Bible Live. Don't go away. Beautiful. This is the time for Christmas music. Thanks, John. That was a great choice. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that means. Um, Just quickly to follow up on what I was just explaining about, as we're in the books of Genesis and Exodus, I want you to get these fundamental concepts down so that you can watch them and see them played out as we make our way through the rest of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These principles are going to be there. And I mentioned the animal sacrifices. Uh, What I'm going to try to say is that many of the different events that take place now are 
Yes, there there are important events in and of themselves as part of the of how God has rolled out uh, a revelation of Himself and the redemptive plan. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, God called Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and He's given him this land uh, that we call Canaan here in the Bible presently. He's this is the land that God is going to give to Abraham and his descendants. The promised land is called. And so that is a picture of the big redemptive plan. God is calling us out of humanity. He has a land, a promised land for us as well, uh, to be in glory with him forever. And so we, we are too on a journey of faith, trusting God to get us there. So you, you see so many of the different events and so many of the different people that we were reading about in the Bible, uh, not only the, you know, the slavery in Egypt and bringing them out of Egypt under Moses leadership and so on, the big picture, but also some of the individuals are what we call types of the Messiah, types of Christ. They are pictures of what, of the redemptive plan of God, and they are pictures of the work of the Messiah, this promised Redeemer that God is going to send. Uh, for example, uh, Seth might be a picture of that. You, when Cain killed Abel, uh, then God gave Eve another son and provided another son to become, uh, again, to maintain the, the righteous or godly uh, branch of the human race. Seth uh, followed after God and, and wanted to serve God and obey God. Uh, and then if you look in the book of Genesis in chapter 5 in particular, there is a, uh, a uh, chapter 5 is full with a, it has a, a genealogies. It's a list of genealogies. It, it said this is, these are the generations, the genealogy from Adam, Adam all the way to Noah. And it lists uh, Adam, and then there's Seth, there's Enosh, there's Kenan, there's Mahalalel, there's Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Those are all mentioned in that chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. And and in some ways, you know, we think, well, they're just different people. They're just genealogies. And sometimes you might be tempted to just kind of kind of, you know, count those books out, you know, all oh, those are boring genealogies. They don't uh, and they they don't not full of stories and so on. But the, what you need to know is that every page, every word, every verse of the Bible in some ways is reflecting those spiritual dimension, those spiritual principles that God has put in place in some ways. Every person in some ways is a picture, an example of God's working among people. Now, particularly in the Bible, for example, I want, I want, I want to mention to you this. In chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, uh, the names of these people have a significance. Adam's name means man. As the first man, that seems straightforward enough, right? Uh, pretty much clear. Seth's name, his an actual name, and it, this is pointed out there in the text of the book of Genesis. You don't necessarily have to know Hebrew uh, to get this. Ad, uh, Seth's name means appointed, because Eve said, For God hath appointed me another seed, another child, instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So Seth's name means appointed. Enosh, and these are Hebrew names, and if you go into the meaning of these names, Enosh means mortal, frail, or miserable. 
It is from the root anash to be incurable. It's used of a wound, grief, a sickness, or wickedness, uh, as in the days of Enos that men began to defile the name of the living God. So Enos name means uh, uh, grief, sickness, and wickedness. Kenan, uh, the next name in those in that genealogy means sorrow, dirge, or grieving, grief. Um, so that comes to you. And, and I don't have time to go into the, a lot of the etymology of each one of these words, uh, but that fundamentally is the meaning of the word Kenan. And then you come to Mahalalel. Kenan's son was named Mahalalel, and it means blessed or praised be God. The name El denotes the, the name for God. Uh, thus, Mahalalel means the blessed God or blessed of God, blessed God. Jared means shall come down. It uh, comes from the verb uh, Jarad, and Jared means shall come down. Enoch's name means teaching, uh, teaching or, or instructing or, or guiding. Uh, he was the first of four generations of preachers, Enoch was. Um, and if you remember, Enoch was what he, he didn't die, but he was translated into glory, which I don't know exactly what that means, but, uh, just what there in the Bible. But Enoch's name means teaching or guiding. Methuselah. Now, a lot of people are familiar with Methuselah's name. You know that Methuselah was the one who lived longer, uh, recorded at least in scripture, the man who lived longer than any other human being, 969 years he lived. Methuselah's, Methuselah, hmm, <laughs> easy for me to say, right? Yeah. Methuselah's name means when he dies, when he dies. His father uh, of Methuselah re- received a re- revelation from God that Methuselah, when he died, when his son died, he would, uh, his death shall bring, the word Methuselah, meth, is a root of the word for death. His death shall bring, when he dies, uh, his father was given a prophecy of the coming great judgment of God on humanity, the great flood under Noah, and was apparently told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be withheld. Uh, but as soon as he died, the flood would be brought, and God's judgment would fall on humanity. And... Indeed, the year that Methuselah died, that is the year that the fountains of the uh, earth broke, the flood came upon planet earth, and Methuselah's life became a symbol of when God's judgment would come, the flood uh, uh, the flood that destroyed humanity in the book of Genesis. Now, uh, that must have been hard on his dad. I, I guess when Methuselah caught a cold, everybody in the family got worried, right? Uh, can't let him, take care of him. We can't let him die because his judgment is going to come. But that's, that's what Meth- – and actually, <coughs> there's a beautiful picture there, Stace, because uh, if a Methuselah was a picture of God's grace and patience and withholding his judgment – He's the oldest man who ever lived. Nine hundred. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture of of God's long suffering patience and mercy toward humanity. Mm-hmm. But Methuselah's name went there. Uh, now 
Methuselah's son was named Lamech, uh, and it, uh, it means lamentation. Uh, w- the root of that word is still, even in our English language, it's caught uh, in English. Lamech means to lament or sadness or to despair. Despairing uh, is also, uh, it's linked to Lamech and Cain's line, who in- inadvertently killed his son Tubal-Cain in a hunting incident. So we see the despair and the sadness. And then Noah, uh, Lamech was the father of Noah, and Noah's name means Nacham. Nacham, to bring comfort or relief. Now you say, Soapy, why are you giving us the meaning of all of these words in Genesis chapter 5, all these names? Well, if you put those all together, Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow or sadness, Mahalalel means the blessed God, Jared means shall come down, Uh, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, uh, Lamech, the despairing, the sad, the grieving, and Noah means rest or comfort. Well, if you put those together, you have the gospel message. Man appointed moral. Mortal. I'm sorry, what? Mortal. I say man who's appointed mortal in sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. So hidden right there in the names of the of the book of Genesis, if we know those names and their meaning, we get a glimpse of the message of the redemptive plan of God. Man appointed mortal, mortal in sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. And, of course, there we have a picture of the work of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah who came down from heaven to teach us, guide us, and his atoning death brings us hope uh, to the despairing, brings us rest and comfort. So there, that's kind of what we're looking at now as we make our way through the Bible. We won't have time to go through every incident, every uh uh, what you call type of Christ. Uh, a lot of the people of the Bible are types within their life. There is some picture of the work of, of Jesus. For example, Abraham uh, is a man of faith. Jesus is the perfect man of faith who carried out the work of faith and trust in, the, in God and then gave his life as a substitute. Remember, uh, Abraham sacrificed a, a lamb uh, instead of Isaac, his son, he said, God will give an Isaac. God will give us a, a lamb, a sacrifice. And so uh, we see Abraham. We see Melchizedek. Remember the rainbow, the rainbow that you talked about, Stacey, in, in the picture of the uh, Noah and, and the rainbow that came up after the ark. Even that, in some ways, a picture somehow of the redemptive plan of God that uh, the rainbow points heavenward that God is going to pay the pride, the, the, the bow and the arrow that God himself is going to pay the price of our sin. And so God would never destroy humanity by water again in that judgment. You have uh, Isaac, who's a very beautiful picture of Jesus, uh, uh, the work of the Messiah. Uh, his coming was promised to Abraham. The covenant that God established with Abraham when he walked through those halves of the pieces of the, we read about it, when he walked through the halves of those animals that were sacrificed. Eliezer, his servant, who's a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jacob, who's a picture of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. Uh, uh, Jacob and his people, the people of Israel, become a picture of God's people, not just 
them as a people group. Yes, it, God deals with them personally and, and directly as a people group. But as a group, they are a picture of God's dealing universally with all of his people uh, from all the people groups, all the nations and tribes and language groups of the earth. And then you have Joseph. Joseph was a picture of the Messiah. He was born uh, in in some ways. Uh, he is the object of his father's special love. Joseph had promises of divine exaltation. He was mocked by his family, remember? Uh, he was sold for pieces of silver. Remember, Joseph sold into slavery, into Egypt. He was stripped of his robe of many colors. He was de- delivered up to the Gentiles. Remember the the um, the uh, the caravans that he was delivered to the Gentiles and down into Egypt. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was faithful to God even amid all the temptation. He was put into prison. He was gifted. He told the the dreams of those people there. He understood clearly understood God and who, what God was doing in and through and with his life. Uh, he he had his power was acknowledged by those in authority. He saved his rebellious brothers from death when they realized who he was. Uh, he is exalted after and through his humiliation. You can see I, I could go on and on about the different ways that that uh jo- jo- hmm. joseph helps to picture for us the redemptive plan and the redeemer he's a picture of jesus the messiah the same thing can be told of moses now that's where we are now in the book of exodus uh joseph uh jacob and joseph have died in egypt 400 years have passed the people of israel are now a servant slave uh, population in the land of Egypt. Uh, there has raised up a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, did not uh, honor that, that, uh, give them the honored place of, uh, in their land. And now they converted the entire nation into a group of slaves building many of their building projects, their cities and their, their, uh, um, pyramids and so on. So there we find the people of Israel suffering under uh, uh, all that difficulty in Exodus. And introduce Moses to us. Would you do that, Stacy? Sure, yes. <laughs> Dad has talked too much, but I wanted to get uh, all of this in. Uh, hopefully it's been helpful to folks who are trying to understand the Bible and maybe those who already know it really well to remind you of these things. But let's get into the book of Exodus okay. now. Moses, this interesting individual named Moshe, is born. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about him, his birth, and how so, sure. he becomes uh, a le- uh, main character okay. in the book of Exodus. So at this point, this would have been a pharaoh that um, would they would have this would now would this have been the same pharaoh that uh, does not know that first enslaved. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so and at this point, the Hebrew people have become very large and he is nervous about them. So he says to kill all of the newborn Hebrew boys, the new babies. Oh, boy. Kill is, these babies. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the Hebrew baby boys. Yeah. Which but did already, they do that? Well, just already in terms of Moses being a Jesus type figure. Remember when Jesus Jesus was born, 
Herod had also issued to kill all of the two years old and under. Yeah. And so just even then as a baby, Moses enters into the picture and is in a setting that is very similar to the setting of Jesus's time. But so the midwives, uh, the, the, he told the Egyptian, um, midwives to kill the babies and and they, no, they were Hebrew midwives. They they told the Hebrew midwives to kill the babies and the Hebrew, they refused. They weren't going to do that. And I love what they say. They say, Say, and so he says, Hey, the, you haven't killed them. So he said, Oh, well, they're so feisty. They have the babies too quickly. <laughs> they have can't. them too quickly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which I just, I, I, I love that. I, Every mom I, identifies with that's that. Right. right. That's and I just, sure. and God blesses those midwives, it says, mm-hmm. and he honors them for what they did. And they, in turn, um, it, it says, are fruitful and saved many babies' uh, lives, yes. I'm sure. And, and so, among them was. Mo- Moses. Moses. And so, uh, yes. And so the, of course the famous, um, she does put him in the river, but she puts him in a basket and sends it on his way. And, uh, so and, instead of killing the little baby Moses, yes. they took him and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him <laughs> in a basket, a basket, not in a, a not in a, a different kind of nature. Yeah, put him out on the Nile River, on the Nile one river. of the tributaries mm-hmm. and he's floating around there on the river. And yes. what happens? And, uh, it is fair. Pharaoh's, uh, is it his daughter? No, Pharaoh's daughter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who finds him and, uh, has compassion and, and takes him in. And so Moses ends up having a, an incredible education. He's raised in the palace. He's raised as the nephew to the Pharaoh. He's given, uh, alongside Pharaoh's own son, uh, in, uh, I mean, the family of Pharaoh. And, um, I'm guessing Moses was a cute little baby. <laughs> he must have been. Is that how it goes? He had <laughs> I'm to. I'm guessing, you know, I mean, really, <laughs> I'm not sure if a princess had found me when I was a little baby that it may not all, have. All, I don't know. All I don't babies know. are cute. What do you mean? <laughs> anyway, Especially so they saved his life. So and they saved his the life. Princess takes him into her, the royal family, yeah, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and so he is given an education and raised, uh, I think that's probably Probably the most, uh, uh, I mean, the education factor, and then the, that comes into play in the writings of oh, sure. the Torah, and that's why they do I mean, believe that Moses would have not he only went to the best yeah, schools and, right. and that know, he would have kind been of capable. the Harvard of their day, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yes, and uh, and so that he is, uh, but then he he has com- he. He is seen, shows the, uh, the Hebrew people. He takes compassion on, yeah. on them. He, he understands that he, uh, you know, it's not very clear to us when he's told. He must have known. I, I'm guessing he may have known his mom and dad. I'm not sure. We're not told that. His biological? What do you mean? Yeah, uh, he may have. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew his brother Aaron, uh, Aaron was mm-hmm. his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows Miriam. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm get, see Miriam figured into his birth because um, she was the princess took him in, but Miriam came up and offered to be. I'll, I'll help you take <laughs> care of him, and so she ended up taking helping take care of her old, yes. her brother, her yes. little brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Moses grew up there in the palace forty years mm-hmm. in the palace of Egypt, and then something happened, and he had to flee for his life. Yes, he funny. identified with his people at some level. Right? Yeah, and so he ended up uh, killing one of the Egyptian slave drivers, 
Um, and so he had to flee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I um, yeah, so he fled. Um, and then he with the, to, ended up with the Midianites. Is that right? The Midianites uh, out into the yeah into mm-hmm. the wilderness of the, the Sinai Desert is very great. And actually, Mount Sinai mm-hmm. is out there. But he went out into the Midianite Desert, and he met a prophet of God, a believer mm-hmm. in in God, the true living God. Uh, Jethro was his name, or Ruel. He's given two names in the Bible. And he takes care of his sheep mm-hmm. for another 40 years passes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is interesting, these years. He 40 marries, years in Egypt and marries, 40 years uh-huh. tending yeah. sheep. Mary Zipporah, Jethro's uh, married daughter. Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, has children. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and whatever education you get from tending sheep, uh, on a desert mm-hmm. and worshiping God, I guess I'm assuming that he followed as best he could after his God and, and sought after kind God. Of a similar, another, I mean, sort of Jesus, you know, he, he, Moses had had a place. And in in sort of the I mean in terms of Egyptian world, Pharaoh was God. He was who mm-hmm. they worshipped. Moses had a place by the Father, by that Father, and he stepped out of that mm-hmm. and uh, turned that away and and sort of for his people. For his people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's another similarity. So Moses is out there in the wilderness tending those sheep, and we're not told a great number of detail, just mm-hmm. some, and then. Uh, and then one day in the in the uh starting the final 40 years of his life it starts out with God revealing himself to Moses in what we call the burning bush mm-hmm. he saw a bush burning but it was not consumed and uh so we read about that in Exodus in God's in, in chapter let me I've got it right here um Moses in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus uh, God speaks and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, well, you've all seen the movie, right? We've all seen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Charlton Heston says, here am I. And, and God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground and so on. And, and so, um, but Moses, God reveals himself to Moses and says, I'm calling you, long story short, I'm calling you to, to go into Egypt and I want you to confront the Pharaoh and, and demand that he let my people go. Now let's jump real quickly before we go from there back to Genesis chapter 15, mm-hmm. where God told Moses, uh, God told, I'm sorry, told Abraham 400 years earlier, mm-hmm. uh, 430 years earlier. He says, uh, y- y- you will go down into a foreign land and you'll be kept there for f- over 400 years, 430 years. And then I'm going to bring you out and you, I will, bring you into that promised land that I I promised to you and your descendants for they will be ripe for judgment at this time their their wickedness and their evil will be so perverse and so uh prevalent that they will be ripe for judgment and I'm going to use your people as an instrument of judgment on them uh it, accomplishing two things judging them for their sin and wickedness and also keeping my promise to you for this land to be Give it to you and your descendants. So all of that's been the background, and that's where we come to uh, Exodus chapter 4 then. Uh, 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 Moses says, whom shall I say, whom should I tell them sent me? Moses kind of says, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I'm not a good speaker. Many people have um, kind of hinted that maybe Moses had a speaking impediment, hmm. that he... Uh, 
stuttered or something like that and couldn't speak very well. Uh, but God says, you know, you go, I give you Aaron, your brother will help you speak. But I want you to go and confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And that happens in chapter 4. Moses goes to the Pharaoh and starts that chapter of this episode. That Let my people go. We'll come back and talk about that, how that went. Did Pharaoh immediately say, oh, sure, Moses, take them. I don't want them around me anymore anyway. Take all two million of them. Take out. Uh, no, there's there's some things that took place. We'll talk about that. We read about it this last week in Exodus chapters 6 through 25. We'll talk about the plagues of Egypt. So if you give us a call, 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back with more from the Bible Live. He's making a list in his book of life. He's going to see who has eternal life. Jesus Christ is coming again. He sees when you are sinning. Yes, indeed, folks. It's that time of the year. There are what we call our, our baptized Christmas carols. Uh, some of these Christmas carols that are secular songs. You better watch out. Santa Claus is coming to town. But we put Christian lyrics to those songs, and we're going to be playing some of those for you now. You can go to the Bible Live website, and you can hear... Uh, Oh, oh, little town of Bethlehem. The, I, I mean, secular songs, Walking in the Winter Wonderland. And you can hear these secular songs put to, with Christian lyrics and uh, use them for your Christmas parties. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming to town. Jesus Christ is coming. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming. Big finish. Yeah, Dad likes those big finishes, Stacey. (laughs) Well, there it is. You can uh, go, like I said, to the website, thebiblelive.com, and you can find those, um, what we call baptized Christmas carols or (laughs) secular songs that we've we've, uh, added Christian lyrics to them. And maybe they'll be good for your Christmas parties. Whether you're doing one in person or doing Zoom meetings or something, you can you can share those with your uh, the folks, your families, and those that are celebrating at Christmas. They're fun to do. They're really fun. Well, plus all the wonderful, wonderful Christmas carols that we're beginning to hear now all across uh, the radio dial and all across the city and the stores and so on. So um, let's get ready for Christmas. It's going to be a beautiful, wonderful time to celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. Well, let's get down to Exodus chapter 6. Stacy was saying right after my my lengthy explanation, our first two segments about the types of Jesus in the Bible, the, the pictures, the various pictures of the redemptive plan of God. And, of course, taking the people out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt, that's going to be a picture of God's redemptive plan, taking us out of the kingdom of darkness, uh, those of us who trust in Jesus as the Messiah uh, and our Savior, uh, we then have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the glorious kingdom of God in his son, Jesus, the kingdom of light. And this this episode will give us a, a kind of a picture of that of that uh, redemptive aspect of the of the salvation plan of God. Let's go to uh, Exodus chapter six, Stacy and Moses goes to the uh, Pharaoh and he says, you got to let my people go. 
And the Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. What uh, an interesting now, if thing. you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you, you, this is, and it's pretty well done and pretty close to biblical accuracy in all of those ways. So you can, uh, maybe you'd like to watch that movie at this time just to remember, uh, this story. But, uh, Moses goes back now and he demands that they let him go. Uh, they let the people go. They won't do it. So there are plagues that come upon. Now we can't go into each individual plague. Uh, I guess we could list them, right? Do you have a list of them there, Stace? I do there. Maybe Stace. you can yeah. list those. And, but the interesting, interesting thing, one of the interesting things about these plagues is that each of them is relating in some ways to a false god of Egypt. In other words, the true and living God is revealing himself not only to his people, the people of Israel, that they need to be reminded of the God of Abraham and Isaac, their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but God is also revealing himself to the to the Pharaoh, to the people of Israel, uh, I mean, to the people of Egypt. And uh, they worship many false gods in Egypt. And these ten... Uh, these ten plagues, they're called, uh, they come one after another as a way of, of shaping, uh, of getting them to give in to and to let the people of Israel go from Egypt. Uh, and so these ten plagues take place. Uh, Stacy, you researched that a little bit for us about how, how each of those plagues related to the false gods of Egypt. Yeah, it is. It, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, so well, I'll, I'll list them first. So the, the ten plagues, so in order, is the water, the Nile, turning into blood, and then frogs and the uh, coming from the Nile, just infestation of frogs. Oh, and then this next one, the third ribbit, one. Ribbit. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, the mm-hmm. third one is lice, an infestation of lice that come from the dust and the ground. L-I-C-E, lice. gnats and lice, yes. you know, those little... Mm-hmm. And then the next, uh, the fourth one are the flies. Mm. that get into everything and destroy the fifth is the death of the cattle um uh the sixth is the ashes that turns boils and cattle stores. meaning sheep and other right. livestock yes, as well all right cattle and livestock correct mm-hmm. the ashes that turn to boils and sores is number six number seven is the hail that comes down and rains down fire destroying the crops and so, killing animals yeah. and people as well the eighth is the locusts that also eat and destroy the crops the ninth is the three days of darkness and then of course the tenth is the um the death of the firstborn who do not have the blood um on the sides on the door frames mm, um, mm. and so that i'll go down there now so those are the ten plagues and the way that they relate him and to show God's superiority over the Egyptian gods was, uh, so the, the God of the Nile was the, was called Happy and she was the, the water bearer. And so that first, um, plague, uh, shows dominance over her and being able to turn the water to blood. Uh, the next one is Heket and Heket had a head of a frog, which I just, uh, and said so the next plague was the frogs. Geb. That was a, of, one of the false gods. The, the god of the, of the Nile god. was Hopi and then Heket. Okay. Oh, and by the way, these first two plagues, the turning, these first two plagues or miracles were miracles that Somehow we're told in the passage that the sorcerers, the wizards that served uh, the Pharaoh, <laughs> they were able to replicate. duplicate or replicate those particular plagues, which is very interesting. That's the only two. But 
it occurred to me one day when I was thinking about that, that if you duplicate either one of those plagues, all you're really doing is making things worse. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not really, so you're sh- not improving the situation. You're just creating more blood and more frogs. Maybe that's why they were. Maybe that's why they were able to uh, right. somehow duplicate them. I don't know. But isn't, yeah, isn't that interesting? And that is um, just such a picture of our sometimes response to God. I mean, just shows, I think that this is such an image of the two roads, um, you know, God's, God's sovereignty and his justice, but to bring about a redemption versus what we tend to take and try to do. And the end is in our rebellion rebellion, Uh and the end game is just death or power or greed. There's, you know, so his, we never make things better. Do we? Right. right. (laughs) That's a good, um, that's a good word right there yeah the, um so then the lice is is from the dead that's geb who was the god of earth kepri was the god of creation hathor was the goddess of love and protection isis was the god of medicine um and peace nut nut was the goddess of the sky seth was the god of storms and disorder Ra was the sun god one of the most worshipped that and was then, one that was when with the days of darkness with the days of darkness mm-hmm. and then the 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 culmination was that Pharaoh, Pharaoh ultimately what it was a God considered a God, uh, the son of Ra mm-hmm. himself and was worshiped in Egypt. And so, uh, you know, ultimately it was Pharaoh whose heart was hardened and it was Pharaoh who had to break. And it was Pharaoh who God showed superiority over and who gave him a, a chance to humble himself. And, and he didn't, mm-hmm. um, but those are the, the two, uh, you know, just showing, yeah. showing God's, well, God. in that context, it's a good it's a good chance to highlight what I was saying earlier about God's bigger picture of redemptive plan. Mm-hmm. Even the example of Pharaoh is obviously Pharaoh. The desire was for Pharaoh to honor the true and living God right. and to give in and to let God's people leave and so on, do the right thing. But but he was given a choice, mm-hmm. and he had a, a choice to make. But. Uh, so there was freedom within that, uh, but at the same time, his freedom was limited to honor God, love God, obey God, and be blessed, mm-hmm. or disobey and reject God and, and experience judgment. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the, you know, God is was sovereign in every moment to the extent that even he, it said that God hardens Pharaoh's mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- that was the plan. He, we are each, uh, we are each caused God himself by revealing himself to us, God forces us to make a decision. The one thing that we cannot do is claim to be God. <laughs> and I think that was the, I mean, not, not the one thing, but yeah. I, 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 essentially. Well, when we humble, reject the true and living God in some way, shape, or form, we are in a sense claiming. We are God, right. And fair, I mean, it just also went, I mean, Pharaoh's, and you just see so clearly the distinct, the juxtaposition between the two, you know, Pharaoh did not want to sacrifice his son. But when you claim to be God and when you uh, are hardened and bitter, you, you, you lose what you 
so most prized. most prized mm-hmm. and and unto death. I mean, Pharaoh's son ultimately was taken from him and Pharaoh was broken and God willingly mm-hmm. um, gave, his, gave son. his son and yet and but he is God and in his power and mm. his uh, magnificence, of course, his son was raised. Yes. And uh, so it it's just a, a matter of being humble uh, to 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 truth and um and to the reality of who god is and who we are <laughs> now even before after these 10 plagues uh even before that 10th plague god had told them this is going to be it uh you're going to be let go and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, well as part of the 10th plague the angel of death mm-hmm. whatever that means <laughs> but the angel of death uh, descended over all of egypt and all of the firstborn children, and even the animals and so on, were taken from them all across the land, except those who met God's requirements. God said, if you want your children to be saved, if you want the angel of death to pass over your home and your family, your communities, then uh, paint with blood mm-hmm. over the doorway of your home, the top and at the sides I've always thought of that as the shape of a cross. Mm-hmm. You paint blood over the doorway of your house and stay in your home and, and have your Passover meal, your Passover supper. Uh, they, it was it was told them what to prepare, how to prepare it, and they were told as a step of faith that they're going to be you're going to be released. God is going to let you leave. They were told to have your uh, traveling clothes on mm-hmm. get your good boots your walking boots have your walking cane if you need a cane or your walking stick be ready to go because you know you're going to be let mm-hmm. you're going to be released and so they did they had that very first passover meal in exodus chapter 12 the hebrew families and all those across the land that believed uh what G- god had told moses um they applied the blood of a lamb or goat to the top and the sides of their doorway, and the angel of death passed over. It's hard to imagine that a person would not have put, after this, after nine plagues previous, how would you not have covered yourself with the blood of the lamb? You know, the stubbornness of wickedness, the stubbornness of sin and pride and arrogance, mm-hmm. It always does surprise us until I realize that I, too, sometimes have been so hard-headed mm-hmm. and stupid that I've God has told me things to do and not do, and I've yeah. just not obeyed. Or and, we think that, oh, I don't want to kill that lamb. You know, oh, how how sad for, um, you know, to, to I mean, who knows? And, and you think maybe you have a better way. You or, have a better plan than oh, God's plan. I, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, I, I can get that, that, but I don't have to follow the rules or kill, do what God says. I don't want to kill anything. I don't want something to die. Yeah. We human beings are pretty creative when it comes to pride and arrogance and sin, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. So I can't, you know, I mean, I I would be very slow to to speak like in judgment because I've been there and done that. But on the other hand, sometimes it is amazing what we will do, uh, the stubbornness of the human spirit. But now what we're told is that the the of course the angel of death passed over the land people lost their children their firstborn their 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 uh, cro- their their animals you know the whatever they had all of, all living beings suffered this and uh but then they were released uh, pharaoh said get out of here get going 
And and the people, one interesting aspect, the people were told by Moses, ask your neighbors, your your Egyptian neighbors, ask them for uh, gold and silver and their th- and and the Egyptian people gave that mm. to them. So I'm thinking that in some ways, or at least many many Egyptian people gave their Hebrew neighbors and people they knew worked for them and all that. They gave them that in some ways, uh, a, a Jewish friend says that that was part of the repentance, at least of some of the people of Egypt, that they repented and they, mm-hmm. they freely gave to the people of Israel. Now, later on out in the wilderness, the people of Israel are going to be called upon to build a tabernacle and they're going to build things of gold and silver, and they're going to use. Where do they get all of that? Mm-hmm. Well, they mm-hmm. got that from these their Egyptian neighbors and you know former owners mm-hmm. and bosses that that gave them and blessed them as they left. Now it wasn't just the people of Israel that left Egypt. Uh, there all of those who uh, who believed and trusted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are many from other lands and nation people groups that came out as well with the people of uh, Israel. We have to always constantly remember that, that God's plan is always bigger than just a particular people group or a particular family. His His calling is always universal, and people he's calling people from every tribe, every language group, every people group. So they, But they come out. They're allowed to leave, and they uh, leave Egypt, and they take, take some two-month journey, to get to Mount Sinai. Now, we can't talk about their coming out of Egypt without talking about passing over the Red, the Red, the Red River, <laughs> the Red Sea. Yeah. Uh, this, as they were getting going, and we're talking about a very large number of people, million, two million. I've heard many different kinds of uh, estimations, but uh, many, many hundreds of thousands came out of Egypt, uh, and they came to the Red Sea. And they were trapped. The armies of the Pharaoh. Now he said, "I, I don't want them to get away. Go get them." And so he sent out his chariots and his armies to get them and capture them and perhaps to destroy them. And they came up to the Red Sea. And of course, we know that's where he held up his arms, and the people of the Red Sea split, divided. And the people were able miraculously, there's no other way to uh, describe it ultimately, miraculously to walk across the Red Sea on dry land. Now, I've, I've seen many uh, archaeological, uh, the results of many archaeological digs and research has been done about how this might have happened and where this might have happened. And, and people are trying to find out all of these different issues for sure. And, and, and I applaud that. We're, we're learning a lot of things about that give a reliability of the biblical uh, mandate, the biblical uh, uh, story here uh, from uh, from archaeology and the study of geology and things that might have happened. But the people were able to walk across on dry land, and then the water came back together and collapsed upon the armies, the chariots of Pharaoh, and they were destroyed. So then in chapter 15 of Exodus, we see, this wonderful song is considered to be the first song, recorded song, and I don't mean in a recording studio, but written down. Uh, it's supposedly one of the first uh, written 
songs in history, the Song of Moses in chapter 15. And uh, so the people of Israel uh, come out of Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai, a two-month journey to Mount Sinai, a a huge group of people traveling in that way. Uh, And they, um, they camp there beneath Mount Sinai, a place that Moses knew well. That's where... That's where he had seen the burning bush, mm-hmm. and uh, God had first spoken to him. <laughs> so they go to that place where God instructed them to go. At Mount Sinai, we see God begins to provide for them. Now, right away, if you sh- we're not going to every detail of these passages, but right away we see the people of Israel, although they've been rescued and brought out of Egypt, uh, they are still human beings, and right away they start complaining and start grumbling, and some of them, oh, no, it's hard out here. We don't have food. We don't have water. We're going to starve, and why did you take us out? At least we had enough to eat back in Egypt. And and so uh, so things happen. There are stories of faith and how God deals with them. But uh, one thing he does is provide this uh, miraculous food that he begins to provide for them for 40 years in the wilderness, uh, 40 years they're going to eat this, what is called manna, or manna, as we call it. Funny little story about that word. <laughs> the word, I asked you, I asked Stacy earlier this evening, you know what the word manna means? And I think you guessed several things I've forgotten, but ultimately it means. What is it? What is it? <laughs> hey, son, go out there and get some of that, whatever it is, what is or it? whatever it is, or whatchamacallit, or, you know, go get that. The the word oh. manna actually means what is it? Maybe that's the question they first asked when they saw it. Uh, a a it's probably tofu or something. Something like tofu, <laughs> I suppose, right? Kidding. What but, is it? Um, the, it's sustained them for a lot of years. It was part of their the sustaining diet. And quail flew in from the uh, from the Gulf there, from the waters in the sea and quail for meat. So they had quail and meat for these 40 years. God provided them for them. As a, I mean, we say these things like, oh, yeah, they ate manna and quail. And, yeah. and just think, two million people? How do you feed a population? What in the world? How, mm-hmm. you know, someday we'll know and maybe we'll get. And I think maybe we understand a little better. We get to understand these lands are not devoid of life. These desert areas, if you ever watch National Geographic, mm-hmm. you know that there is life out there. There are birds, there are creatures, uh, but God provided for them uh, there. As And uh, Mount Sinai then, they uh, are received, they receive in chapter 20, uh, Moses is delivered. He goes to the top of the mountain and he delivers, he is given the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, these Ten Basic principles and commandments that are going to guide them as a people. Now, remember, these people have lived in slavery mm-hmm. uh, 400 years now. And, and so these people have born in slavery. They've never known, um, you know, they've never held an election. They knew nothing Freedom. about 
Now, they maintain to some degree their social order, their family groupings, and they know Mm -hmm. I'm of the tribe of Judah, he's of the tribe of Reuben, and the tribe of this tribe of that tribe. So they knew about that, and they understood a little bit about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenant of their God that that told them centuries before Mm -hmm. that you're going to have this land. But they need to be reintroduced Mm -hmm. to their God. They needed to be reintroduced to God and what God is like. They've been living in... Egypt, where God is is uh, uh, vengeful, God an unforgiving God. That's one of the most striking things they discover about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It, they discover when when Abraham, I mean, when Moses goes up on the mountain, comes down, and they've already sinned against God, mm-hmm. and they've already there uh, the the some of the some of the mixed multitude that was with them kind of led the way and they built a golden calf and Aaron gave into it and so on. And so he discovered them with this golden calf going back to idolatry and, and Moses destroys the 10 commandments that he gives them. And then he goes back up on the mountain. Now, if all the gods they're familiar with would have slaughtered them, would have, would have destroyed them. That was what was expected. And and some slaughter and some death did take place. There were some consequences. <clears throat> but the amazing thing about the God of that Moses is reintroducing them to Jehovah. He's a God who forgives. He comes down with a second set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're introduced to a God who forgives. And he begins to do some nation building. And he's going to build up these people and to give them directions and an identity as, and their identity is caught up in their God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to continue now through the book of Exodus and on into the book of Leviticus this coming week and see how God begins to build them and show, mold them and shape them into a people that would honor Him and worship Him and follow Him and experience His blessing. And He would use them to bring the Messiah the Bible into the world. The Bible is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 